This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers, and navigating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips, and with me is my co-host, co-pilot, co-producer, co-friend, <laughs> Jim Daly. Co-Palace support him, friend. Co-Palace, no, that should have been top of the list, really. Uh, uh, Co-Palace, which comes up in the podcast today. I won't spoil I it, but it does, it does come up. Um, co-friend. Sounds like sort of sort of half a friend. Like I sort of well, friend when I when I can. Well, it's like we co-friend someone else almost, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's like you know in Italian football they have these weird contracts where you can co-own a player, can't you? Oh, like Inter yeah. and Brescia can both co. Who does he? I don't know who he plays for. And that is like one one week, one the other. I don't really get it. But that that's what it sounded like to me. Like well, we I guess we co-own yeah. the podcast. Maybe we're co-owners. That uh, we are that now that makes us more sound like we own a football club. We are the co-owners, yeah. and the fans are just not happy. You know, there's protests every week. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, they yeah, stop they sending want us, us messages. <laughs> exactly, yeah, they want us out of their club. Get out of my club. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, to answer your question, I'm doing great, thank you. That's How good are you? To hear. I'm very well, thank you. Yes, enjoying some sunshine. It's, it's now starting to yes. come out more. Indeed. So, what are we mid? February, yeah, mid to late, late February, actually. Yeah, yes. Oh, we're so close to spring because March is spring, basically, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, basically, oh. it's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's sunny here as well. So that's, yeah, it's it, it, something about sunshine just makes you sort of breathe a bit more, doesn't it? it just makes you feel, <sighs> yeah, you can breathe a bit. Well, you, you feel more inclined to go outside as well. Well, exactly. So you get more fresh air. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start running again now. That it's uh, I need to start doing, start doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I was about to mention my personal trainer Sam, who, who is a good mate, had a horrific accident this week. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it was really gruesome. But shout, he doesn't listen to podcast. <laughs> but shout out to Sam. I hope you're feeling better, mate, and recovering. So it's pretty, it's pretty nasty. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm going to go running again now that it's uh, now that it's sunny. It's just, it's just, it's better in 
the summer and spring running. Winter running is oh, it's not it's nice. Rub- it's rubbish. When this episode goes out, because obviously we record in advance, um, I'll be doing a very, very long walk. Um, I'm okay. doing a walk for three amazing charities, Action Aid, uh, the Dementia Choir, and uh, Shout 85258. I'm walking from East Croydon. Oh, wow, yeah. Back to Seaford. 40, oh, wow. 48.8 miles, which I'm going to oh. do in one day. Whoa, so is that, how long is that going to take? Like, uh, and that whole day? It's going to take about 20 hours, I think. Whoa. That is an undertaking, mate. Woo, I know. Is. I kind of regret sort of saying <laughs> I'd do it. <laughs> Here we are. It's got your face. Here we are. You are Charles Pelley Phillips too, for some reason. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> or is this an old one? Hang on. Oh, no, no. You've raised, you've raised 1,200 quid already. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I've been... Some very generous people have been, been helping me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, okay. So it is... Hang on, let me just double check. So I can't, I can't believe there's another Giles. There's a, there's, there's a number one Giles Pelly Phillips out there. That's me. Yeah. Um, it is justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash Giles hyphen Paley hyphen Phillips hyphen two. Okay. So but it's if you do what I did, do what I did and just Google <laughs> Giles Paley Phillips just giving, it's actually the top link. So okay. you could just do Thank that. Thank you. Thank you for. Or, or look at your. Look at your t- um, social accounts as well, because I'm sure you're tweeting it out. Yeah, yeah, go on, yeah, go on Twitter and stuff, and, and actually, lots of lovely people have been um, have been sharing and stuff. So that's nice. So when yeah. are you doing? When are you doing this? This will be the 23rd of February, which will be the day after this episode comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel well, so. Hang on, are we, are we recording an episode soon after you? We'll be recording one two days later, won't we? Yes, yeah, so hopefully later. I will have recovered. We'll see what um, sort of shape you I might be in. doing it in, in bed um, <laughs> with lots oh. of blister plasters on my feet. Yes. So, yeah, definitely, as someone that has done uh, long walks for mm. the Palace for Life Foundation every year, um, blister pads, uh, take as many as you physically fit in your yeah. bag. Take loads of snacks. That's the thing you think, like, get, get like loads of, like, graze bars and stuff. Um, and a good podcast. Yeah, several podcasts. I've, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at places along the route to stop and eat um, yeah, copious yeah, amounts lovely. of food. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a little jolly by myself. Um, and actually, if anyone's on that route, I mean, I've, I've again, go on my social media. I've posted the route. Um, yeah. You can come and join me. I'm happy to have some company along the route. That's so, a great yeah. idea. People yeah. could come and do little like walking legs. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple you. of people I think that said they want to come and join me. So yeah, please do come and join me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, equally, I'm happy to do it on my own and listen to podcasts. <laughs> I think you want a blend. You want a little blend of like bit of solitude. You can listen to a pod and crack on. And then I think now and then you'll need a bit of like human in- company to help you do it. So well, if any of our yeah. listeners do live along that route, definitely get out and you, you know even if it's a ten minute walk with Giles yeah, go and go and give him some company because I think that will definitely spur you on I yeah. think to uh yeah. to complete and I'll probably yeah. do some like Instagram and Twitter live yeah definitely Instagram. definitely definitely and we'll make sure we sort of retweet those and stuff mm. on, on anyway enough uh, about me yeah. no that's great um that's great I just I can't wait to see you the day after <laughs> <laughs> I'll be wrecked, I'll be wrecked. <laughs> um absolutely wrecked oh man um but anyway it should be she's good and it's for some very 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 important charities so I'm, I'm very happy to help them it's, in fact this is my way of being able to help and um yeah they they do incredible work so uh yeah please do support but let's move on to our brilliant guest this week we've got yeah. it's, it's an amazing episode yeah uh, with the brilliant Nova Reed who yeah. is a 
writer and activist. She's an anti-racist campaigner. Yeah. And uh, she's got a brilliant book out called The Good Ally, which we talk about some with in some depth. But we yeah. talk about her journey into into where she is now as, as, as a campaigner. And um, it's just such a brilliant conversation and we're not going to leave we're not going to have a special patreon version of this this week we're going to give you everything because yeah well we're still yeah there's still a patron version patrons will still get a version but it'll just be the same as everyone else because we think that there's a lot of important information yeah. in in this and, and and it needs to be sort of out there for everyone patrons will still get it a, a day early and we'll still get the the advert free version so you're still getting a you're still getting an incentive but um there's just nova's doing incredible work and she's a very important person and um she talks, you know, a lot of what she does is driven from personal traumatic experiences, and we talk about that. And she's very open uh, on this episode, as she is in a lot of her work as well. Um, but she's just a fabulous person. And this is an episode, you know, if you're if you're sort of like looking at the blurb of this and you're thinking, well, I'm not racist, so obviously, I, obviously, I oppose racism, which mm. I'm sure all our listeners do. That's not what this is about. This is no. about actually finding out what you can do. To, to genuinely help because all of us having been brought up wherever we've been brought up most countries in the world probably <laughs> we're brought up uh, uh, in a country that has a sort of systemic racist sort of institution which unfortunately the uk does um so you will still be a part of that and but you can help you know the the whole this is a positive episode about you can help you can change you can uh, develop as a person and you can help um marginalized communities by doing that so it's a really powerful episode and i hope you know i found a lot of takeaways from it i've literally ordered her book just now as well because mm. i think uh, i want to read that as well so uh, and i hope our listeners get as much as we did from from talking to nova yeah it was well and there was a thing right near the end of the uh, conversation where we talked about collective healing and that's a very obviously that's a very important thing it has to be, it has to be a collective we all need to yeah. come together and 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 fight racism together you know absolutely and, and and yeah and that's a, it's a lovely phrase that she'd come up with and it's collective healing and um and and like she said this book is for the change makers and we we are all the change makers yeah, um, so, exactly. yeah so yeah it's, it's a wonderful conversation with her and um very privileged to have her on the podcast absolutely and we can all be change makers even if you think maybe yeah. you're someone that can't you can't you can be and, and she explains how um on this episode um so before we delve in, though, let's read out a tweet from one of our listeners, as we as we do normally at the top of the show. I've got one here from Catherine Keane. Catherine is hey, one, Catherine. Of our, one of our patrons as well. Um, just a fantastic person and a long-time supporter. And this is off the back of the Tim Downey episode. Now, Tim's episode has gone down brilliantly. We've had so much yeah. response to it. People um, are loving Tim. People love Tim and, they love, yeah. and they've loved his episode. I mean, he's a lovable guy, so I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, and Catherine says, excellent episode and a fellow dyslexic. I love Tim's passion for books and film. Unfortunately, I struggle with reading, so films have always been my books, but recently found Audible and discovered so many wonderful books. Jaws is my most recent. By the way, there's a wonderful Wimpy in Dorking. Well, there ah. we go. Wimpy's still alive and well in Surrey. And actually, my sister and um, brother-in-law live in Dorking. So <laughs> when I go and visit them, uh, I might pop into Wimpy. And um, have a taste of the 80s. Uh, so thank you, Catherine, for, for that tweet. Yeah, absolutely. We've got another one here from, uh, it's, the, it's called The Podcast Devotees. And they've said, an absolutely amazing listen. Do let us know what you think. So that's a, like a, a dedicated podcast lovers uh, Twitter account there. But I've also got some here from Tim's Instagram and people are loving the episode on there. Right. I've got one here. Sound from, really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. M. Lady yeah. Smith. <laughs> 
And she says, uh, to Tim, you're an amazing storyteller. I could really use a good and funny story right now and an enjoying the podcast. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can get our handles are you are to at Pod. You can well. talk to us on Twitter, Instagram, Thank and you. Facebook. Great. But I think I'll we should delve into this week's episode, Jim. Well. It's with the wonderful Nova Reed here on the Blank Podcast. Brilliant. I was listening to your podcast recently, Conversations, which is brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant. And I was listening to the last episode, the, or the most recent one you did, which was obviously in conjunction with your book coming out, which I'd love to talk to you a lot about on this podcast. And uh, something that struck me, and it's something I've been talking to quite a few authors recently about, because a lot of, of friends of mine have had books coming out, and it's about publication anxiety. And it's, it's something that um, a lot of authors that I've spoken to have, have talked to me about it, but it's not something they talk about publicly. And it really um, struck me that you obviously you talked about it quite openly on, on the podcast. And, and I, it really resonated with me because I've had several books out, but it doesn't get any easier every time one comes out. And then Jim and I did a book together based on the podcast yeah. and it was Jim's first book. So I know that he kind of probably had some of those feelings as well, but yeah, I just wanted to talk to you a bit about that. If you're happy to talk about that. Um, well, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we are diving in. I mean, yeah. I, so Publishing the Good Ally, it, um, it's a you know it's a book about anti racism, which as a as a black woman can be volatile. Uh, I can be in some extraordinarily hostile places and have some really provocative and and, and violent responses. So there's there's kind of that <laughs> at one yeah. end of it, and also. There's, it's quite autobiographical. There's there's so much... I mean, it makes sense, but there's so much more of me in it than I expected <laughs> that yeah. I would write. But it felt it felt honest and in integrity to share more about my own personal experiences as I'm drawing comparisons to data and stats and all of the, all of the information that we can kind of put to one side or keep a distance mm. from. And so it was more autobiographical than I ever intended. So... I just felt incredibly vulnerable because there was so much of me there. But then there's all of the, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist and there's imposter syndrome and there's, holy shit, why did I write that story? And, (laughs) oh, my God, it's too late now. And I I remember my editorial team and my publishers must have thought I was losing my mind because I kept saying I've had a dream and I need to take this out and and can I change this and like Nova it's gone to typesetters now let it go and so you're with the content you're with the content for so long in, in such an intimate way it's just yours and the only people that interact with it are your publishers and even then the way they interact with it is quite clinical it's quite distant they're looking at it structurally and as an editor and so I hadn't I hadn't anticipated how it would feel thinking wow I'm you're just vulnerable you're you're giving yourself to the world for people to judge it yeah. love it loathe it tear it apart and you have to surrender and so the weeks running up to my book launch I remember getting in touch with my herbalist 
and say I need I need something to just help with with my my nervous system is is so activated can you help and we were talking on the phone at the time and she said Nova are you pacing around and I said <laughs> yeah I had so much nervous energy mm, and yeah. and and, it, and I was just finding it really difficult to settle so I wasn't sleeping very well either so I found that incredibly intense um and it wasn't until after my book launch I did a book launch event myself and the first major pieces of press coming out that I started to be able to just settle and like okay it's out there now surrender yeah I think you're right about surrendering I, I'm definitely someone that, that that nervous paces I remember before exams at school I'd be pacing up and down like the common room and just wouldn't be able to sit still I don't know if that's just something about getting that nervous energy out somehow yeah, and that's the way I do it, it. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to find that, yeah, very difficult. And I think you're right about sort of like, after, I'm not an experienced book writer. The, the the blank book was my first one and, and didn't really know what I was doing. I'll, I'll just try this and like see if they like it and see what happens. Um, but you're right, like you, you do have to sort of, you have to sort of, you, you do sort of give in to the anxiety, but, but you do have to be, that being vulnerable and being open you do have to sort of bury into it a little bit. And, and I remember doing the audio, we were lucky enough to then get an audiobook deal off the back of that. So we were recording the audiobook and I remember reading it thinking, what, did I include that? I said that, did I? <laughs> Why have I, I don't remember that. I d- oh my word, thinking, oh, I've been, I've been a bit personal here. I'm, well, I'm not even sure anyone, one, cares, or two, wants me to be that vulnerable, I guess. But I think, I think you sort of have to be. I think if you're talking about personal matter, then you have to, don't you? Otherwise it's not as real. Does that make sense? It does. But then there's, there's, I learned that there's the difference between writing about something that's personal and then reading it out loud in the yeah, recording yeah. studios. Like, yeah. I didn't consider this. <laughs> we, it's funny enough. Yeah, totally. I, and that was another thing you, you, you sort of touched on in the podcast. It was something that um, Jim and I were kind of offered for someone else to read, like an actor. And we said, no, no, we, we want to do it yeah. ourselves. And when I was in there, I found it incredibly stressful, actually, I have to say. Um, I, I'm not, a, as you might tell during this podcast, I'm not a trained broadcaster. <laughs> and I found it really difficult. I found it really difficult. And I think actually going back over some very personal things, like Jim said, was, was hard as well. And I can imagine, you know, for you with, with your book, there's a lot of you know, raw and raw moments in there and painful moments, which you're having to, you're having to say out loud, which is a totally different experience to writing it down. Totally different. And and again, you know, it's my first experience. I have nothing to compare it to. And, and I didn't anticipate how hard it would be. I remember in the recording studio, uh, we, were reading, we were reading chapter seven, which was one of my hardest chapters to write. And I end it on a very personal experience of shame that I had. And um, I don't know how many times we had to record that section because I just, like I said to them, like I don't mind, like keep the emotion in. It's real, it's human. Don't edit that out because they want the cleanliness as well. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, I yeah, don't yeah. mind that. But I couldn't get the words out and I, you know, voice kept cracking. And at one point I had to leave the room and I just had to, it was very difficult. And so, yeah, there's that added layer. But but you do you think that if, if you're obviously it's very personal material, but you think if, if someone listening to it or reading it can feel that emotion and connect to it, well, then you've sort of you've done a good job, haven't you? Because if you can make someone feel that because good 
art content that kind of thing it's not necessarily about reading it or listening to it it's about feeling it inside and you we all know that uh, we've all read a book or listened to a piece of music or or, con- or, or audiobook where we've really felt it so you have to honest you almost have to go that deep so that people reading it can connect to it and feel it in the same way mm, absolutely How does some free wine sound after a January that definitely lasted longer than scheduled and with Mother's Day creeping up on us around the corner? Um, it's the perfect time to try your new favourite wine club, Wine 52, for free. That's right. All you've got to do is go to www.wine52.com slash blank and cover the postage costs of five ninety five, and you'll get three bottles delivered to you. Now, Wine52 is a discovery club all about showcasing the very best wine from a different region each and every month. This month is the rightfully revered region of Bordeaux, which features a rich, gorgeous Bergerac from Fabien Castang, as well as a crisp and zesty Sauvignon Blanc from the award-winning Bordeaux families. How are my French accents there? Not great. Um, I actually have some with me here in front of me, so I'm going to give it a little taste right now. There we go. That is very nice indeed. Uh, That was the bird's wrap that I was trying then, and I'm going to go in for another. Do you know what? I'll wait till the end of the advert. If you have a preference on type, Wine52 have you covered, as you have the choice of a mix, red-only or white-only case. Also included is Glug Magazine, which is a great name, which delves into each region's wine culture and two tasty snacks as well. After your free case, you'll join the monthly wine club, but there's no minimum commitment. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's www.wine52.com. That's the word wine and the numbers 52.com slash blank to claim your free case today. Sorry to sort of deep it, go so deep We've so early. early. Yeah, we have. Yeah, that was like bloody hell. All right, we're going. No, no, I like it. It's let, let, honest. Yeah, let's um, let's start it back a little bit. You you um, you grew up in Hertfordshire. I did. Very leafy kind of Hertfordshire. And um, what 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 was growing up there like? What was it like for you? Um, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it depends. <laughs> like I I loved I love living there I um you know had a great experience um like my my family we're all very close um but I guess it was you know it it was it was tinged with racism and I you know I didn't know that I was I didn't know or it wasn't like I knew that I Obviously, the colour of my skin was brown, but I didn't know I was black and racialized as mm. black and other until I was about seven or eight years old. And then from that moment, I really, really struggled with my identity and belonging and feeling like and learning that my my value as a human being was 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 less. And so, you know, it was it was it was complicated at times. And, and that that continued to when I was at, at um, senior school and started to really experience racism there. So yeah, it's 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 kind of it, it's home and it's also it's not home. Yeah, that must be mm. that must be a difficult sort of mixed feeling to have because you don't you know as kids we don't choose our homes. You know our parents are there and they bring us up and we didn't ask to, to be there and yet so you're sort of put in this environment and this situation you didn't really ask for and as kids you 
sort of then asked to sort of navigate it the, as best you can and and you obviously had some horrible experiences so and yet it is still home so it it, mm. it must be sort of conflicting i guess emotions really sort of against each other at times yeah i mean not so much now um but set, certainly growing up because i always had this feeling that i didn't belong yeah i was always told you know go back to your own country and i'm like well this is my country. Like, yeah. what, what, what would you mean by that? And, and as you get older and you understand more about what racism is, you're like, well, I don't like what am I, where I always was battling with that feeling of not belonging as I was yeah. growing up into adulthood for sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is, I think as a young person, people would battle with identity anyway, but for you to then have the added layer of the racism on top of it just makes that battle of who you are much much worse uh, you know it's i think it's yeah you sort of had it um sort of multiplied i guess yeah it's the it's the compounding we talk about discrimination now and like depending on who you are and where you are that can be compounded as a you know discrimination as a woman discrimination as a black woman and then you know sexuality and, and disability all of these things they 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 add to they add to your experience of of social suffering and I'm right in thinking early on in your sort of working career, you were in, you were, did performance, like you yes. were an actor and stuff. Was that something that you um, did early on in your school life? Well, it wasn't like, that was the goal, Giles. <laughs> I was supposed to be an actress. I'm like, how the hell have I ended up here? <laughs> that was what was always my dream. And so I, I studied at an institution called London Studio Centre, who, who actually probably are more known for professional dancers but they have lots of arms so I went through the musical theatre arm and I worked in theatre for a little while um but that was when I really started to understand systemic racism I guess like I would be the number of auditions I would be put forward to were really limited and it was only black roles and I'm like this doesn't make any sense like I can like I can play any role. Like, my, why am I being put in a box because of the colour of my skin? And I remember I had an uh, acting teacher who would say, well, Nova, darling, you're never going to play that role. You're black, darling. And and oh so I God. was... I started to learn about... I, I started to see my peers' careers advancing because they would just had more access to opportunity than I did in the boxes that I was being placed in. And so... You know, that environment is hard anyway, um, but it corrodes your confidence. And I ended up, I had an injury as well. And so combination of of that um, and injury, I just, I was just, I'm, I was done. Um, and, I, and I couldn't find a way to make a sustainable career and also play something beyond uh a black person who was either a service worker impoverished or in some kind of gang like that was that was the limitations and i felt really frustrated by that yeah my my wife is an actor as well um and i uh, am a comedian who gets offered not many advert castings um but you see scripts come in and you're i i think there's still a problem with sort of systemic racism in in the performing industry because you see scripts come in and it will say something like uh young black man 40s like athletic and then you read the script you think this is not or the dialogue this has not been written by a black person yeah and you think how can they be authentic in this moment it's clearly you can i mean 
you can tell always who's written the script sometimes by the way it's written this has been written yes. by, an, by an old white guy in, a, in an office somewhere and <laughs> and and this is now this is 2022 and so you're still you're still finding those limitations and that essentially that sort of built-in racism in the industry yeah even now yeah absolutely and it's why you see um like act british actors going and finding their fame in America, like Cynthia Arriva is a colleague of mine and she is doing exponentially well in the United States. And like there's Daniel Coolia, um, uh, obviously Idris Elba. There's so much who did not get the breakthrough that they deserved and were talented enough to get here and then went to the States. And then suddenly the, the, the British acting industry then, then wants to claim yeah. them. And, yeah. and, and that's, you know, there are more, there are names that I don't know of and that, that have had to do that and have been able to do that because we're not all able. We don't all have the means to do that and, and take that risk and, and try and establish a career in, in a country that's not your own. Um, but yeah, still the same. I'm, I'm still a, a member of equity, the ac- acting union. Yeah. And so I can see what's going on and there are still things that I were struggling with when I was back then about not even having basic um, makeup artists backstage with makeup for my skin tone. And and, yeah. and and still they're like, well, this is still an issue. And so they were putting a call out to do some training. I'm like, why is that not a foundational part of training to learn how to do stage makeup on every single palette? Like, we're not aliens. Was that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and is that because decisions from the top? Because I, I I kind of equate it to football sometimes. Like people say in football, well, there's not there's not enough black referees, there's not enough black managers, not enough black coaches, and it's like, well, yeah, because the people making decisions at the top of the game are not black. They are still boardrooms full of white people. The top of the mm-hmm. referees' union, top of co- mm-hmm. uh, the FA, and so of course, oh, and when then clubs and lower league down say, well, we are equal opportunity clubs and stuff. You think, well, yeah, but the system isn't. Like you might be trying to mm-hmm. be at that level, but actually, if you haven't got someone at the top of the referees' union who is black and is helping young black referees come through. I can only imagine the abuse that young black referees would get at the lower levels. Then, of course, you're not mm. going to have a pathway for them to get to the very top. And, so, and I imagine it's the same thing in the performing industry. Yeah, it's the same. And, you know, representation is is important, but it's not the only thing. And, and you know, sometimes if we don't have... You know, we need to be asking ourselves, like, wherever we hold societal advantage, especially when you're, you have power over other people in terms of career, is, well, what am I missing here? What don't I know? What expertise can I bring in? Who do I need to talk to? There's always ways that even if we're not, we don't belong to whatever the marginalised group is, if we don't have that representation, right, how can I outsource and bring that in? Or who can I speak to? What focus groups can I be doing? And, you know, it's not like... It's not like these social issues aren't spoken about now in, in mainstream. Like, like there, there should be no excuse for us to be thinking about, well, actually, why is everyone around us all look the same? And what more can we be doing to bring more talent in that's representative of the world that we live around? And why are we only commissioning um, plays that are written by white writers? Like, what, what a, a, a white straight able-bodied writers like how many stories could we be telling if we go outside of that pool so you have to have the desire to be thinking what am I missing here what expertise can I draw in how can I where can I do better and if though if that curiosity is not there then that's why we end up with these homogenous groups did you think it's a pride thing because I want I'm sure that people in various positions of power, you might be someone at the top of an institution, you might be someone in the middle or whatever, wherever, whatever industry. And I'm sure most people think, 
well, I'm not, I'm not racist. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm an open-minded sort of person. And so if someone says, yeah, but actually, if you look at your institution, you, you know, in terms of your employment figures, your diversity figures actually maybe very low, that people think, oh, sorry, what, you're calling me, you're calling me racist, <laughs> rather than thinking, that's a fair point. I need yeah. to address that. I need to, oh, okay, right, who can I ask that can help me sort of progress that? And I wonder yeah. if it's just a, a pride thing that stops good-hearted, normal people from actually making a step towards change because they suddenly feel like people are calling them racist it's 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 two things it it is it's it's pride and ego and and it is a genuine lack of understanding of what racism is beyond an overt act of hate and i and i often say this because it lands for people when i or other people who are black or, or other people of color or activists talk about racists or racism, or what you did or just said there is racist. What many people hear is you're a, you you are a right wing extremist, yeah. Yeah. and that's not what we're saying. But that's what's heard, and so of course they're not that, and so they want to defend their position. Ego's ego is not happy at all, and I need to manage perception. And then instead of well, actually, what I you know what you did or said there is racist, and we all have the capacity to do or say racist things. But because we're not interested in receiving that feedback, oh my gosh, yeah, like you say that's the point or oh, I didn't know that I don't understand help me better understand more we just go round and round in circles and we don't progress yeah. so for me it's it's helping people understand and and having them listen and receive that the racism that I and other educators are talking about is beyond an overt act of hate the the overt stuff is easy to to call out and recognize yeah mm. the systemic stuff is less so um but you've got to be willing to accept that it's not a it's not a good or bad binary. We all have the capacity yeah. to do or say racist things. We've been we've been socialised in a racist society, and you know Britain in itself has got its wealth off the back of hundreds, centuries and centuries of enslavement. So, yeah. like that's just where we are. Like it's uh, it's a it's a tough history to reconcile, but it's our history. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it's very it's a, it's very powerful in those moments to say I'm sorry. Mm. Help, help me and I think people think going back to vulnerability earlier that it makes people feel vulnerable and, and I know that feeling vulnerable can make people feel very uncomfortable but actually it's, it's very powerful to say I'm I'm sorry about that yeah what can I do to do better please help me and then yeah. and then you're going down a collaborative route and as humans we like being collaborative I mean it, everyone kind of wins it's like when we're designed to be in community and to to connect with one another and, and you know you know racism any other ism does the opposite of that it dis- disconnects us from the core part of our humanity and it does take vulnerability and i think a lot of humility um and accountability which isn't often role modeled yeah. by adults in society especially with current government 100 <laughs> <100% Yeah. laughs> agree <laughs> Yeah, let's not get into oh, that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, that was a... You said that was... Ki- was that kind of a wake-up call for you? You know, that having that experience, being more aware of what was happening within an industry which we, you were obviously very, very excited about being involved in. Mm. That must have been hard as well it, for you it, to, to sort of take that on and, and, and learn and be learning that. It was hard yeah. because... I mean, there were barely, I think, there, I think there were, I'm just counting my head, there were four 
there were three black women and one mixed black guy in my entire year at performing arts school and that the year group was probably around 300 oh, wow. so it, it was just it, it was so visible how you know we weren't there and and all of us I think all while one of us were there on scholarship because again going to these performing arts schools uh to to be in West End or to be in film the cost of them is outrageous it's very elitist right. so we were all there on scholarship um so there's and again there's another access barrier there yeah. and so w- w- we were all talented enough to be working professionals in that in that in that industry and so it was hard and um i i felt i remember when i decided to stop and i just felt like i lost my identity well who who am i now like i've always yeah. had this dream to be on stage and to do these and I did do some stage work and 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 film but you know I I wanted a career and it was just not sustainable for me um under the current under what I was navigating what other other black folk were navigating with so few roles do you you think that's changed and do you still no I don't um, uh, and, and, no not 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 to any extent that is sustainable no because I was going to say is that dream still there for you is that desire then to be back on stage still still there I mean I'm still on stage but it's just in a different format yeah, so true. I, yeah. I got to be at the National Theatre with David Harewood in October which was incredible and so I you know I did a TED talk so I, I am fulfilled yeah. in that way what I'm more interested in that I haven't really spoken about is is screenwriting and so you know using my my gift as a writer to change the narrative of some of the scripts that are going out so yes. that's that's a little that's a little dream dreaming yes. well, that's behind the scenes yes yeah, so when you get those scripts and, and it's for a, a black actor you think this has been written by there we go. finally yeah does actually like make sense yeah and you know directing i've done a little bit of as well in the past and 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 i really enjoy that as well so there are other there are other ways and also directors and writers get more respect than actors which is you know it should be across the board but there yeah. is yeah there is more respect um yeah yeah, I've seen that again. I'm I'm just a comedian trying to do adverts to get money. That's right. Any comedian does does adverts. Um, most most of the scripts are absolutely awful, and <laughs> but you are treated like just just uh, I don't know like like a, like a number essentially because yeah. the number of times scripts come in and they say, "Can you turn this around for tomorrow?" and you think, "I'm a, I'm a I've got I'm a life. A, I've got I'm a dad. I've got kids. Yeah. I've got things to do." And and. Or, or you'll get it on a Friday and say, can you just can you get, do this on Monday morning? Do they think like actors don't yeah, do anything I, on weekends? I couldn't bear that. I used to get really irate by that as well. But it was just, it felt very um, like you're a little rag doll. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, it's like, you should be appreciate. You should be yeah, thankful. Yeah, you'd be grateful. Script, oh, you sent me this script. <laughs> what, yeah. what, this awful script for some, I had one for some Ukrainian fast food thing. No, Ukrainian power drink. It was like power horse or something. Oh, it was, it was just... I would have got to go to Ukraine to film that. That would have been cool. I didn't get it. I didn't get it anyway. It does make you think that the writer had to turn it around in 24 hours as well, maybe. Mm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's often the, 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 the creative people, I think, isn't it, that sort of don't get treated particularly particularly well. But then if Correct. you get people in more influential powers, like uh, like directors and, and, and producers and stuff, that actually understand that and can treat actors like people. Exactly. Then maybe that cha- can change even a little bit. Exactly.
This episode of The Blank Podcast is sponsored by Harry's. Harry's is way more than a razor company. They're here to revamp your whole routine. From close shaves and flake-free hair, all the way to clear, healthy skin. Harry's helps guys feel good. And they are offering our listeners a free travel size shower gel with a trial set. Uh, what's in the trial set, gels? There's loads of stuff in the trial set, Jim. Each razor comes with an expertly engineered weighted handle. Yep, uh, it comes with a one five-blade cartridge crafted by artisans in their German factory, uh, complete with precision trimmer. A handy foaming shave gel for effective lubrication. Um, a travel blade cover for life's adventures. And free shower gel for our listeners. You've tried the shower gel, haven't you, Giles? I have. It's very lovely. It's got a lovely scent to it. And, um, yeah, it was really great. I felt very clean afterwards. And I, I have to say, I've been using Harry's, the actual razors, for about a year, actually. And they've completely changed how my shaving experience. I used to be someone that was like, didn't, didn't really like wet shaves because it would... I'd get little nicks and stuff, and it wouldn't be that comfortable. And the Harry's razors uh, are really, really smooth. I never get nicks anymore, and it's actually made shaving an enjoyable experience. Um, so I can 100% recommend it uh, from literally from my face uh, to yours. Um, here's some facts about uh, Harry's. Their shower gels, face wash, and skincare products can be added to shave plans anytime, anywhere. Cleansing and exfoliating before you shave increases the chance of cleaner results. And their products are formulated with 0% sulfates, parabens or dyes and are alcohol free. So no nasties there, Giles. No. Make sure you support the podcast and give your own shower shave a go by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. All you cover is $3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com slash blank to have your set delivered and start a shave plan. Your freebie will be added at checkout. That's harrys.com forward slash blank. I'm, I'm going to leap ahead a little bit. You started a, a thing called New Bride, which was a, a web, was it, it's a web site, Well, I mean, it, essentially. It, 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 I, it's no longer trading anymore, but it was, it started as a wedding blog when blogging was in. So that goes to show how long ago <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it, it kind of morphed into a, a wedding show, which it did incredibly well. And um, alongside that, I would... I would do consultancy. So the the blog was developed out of my own wedding ex- wedding engagement. I got engaged and I was looking for a inspiration for for our wedding and and there was just no representation of yeah. black couples at all at yeah. all. And I and I just got I remember the like there were so many things that led up to it like so the magazines were first 300 plus pages of z- zero people who looked like me and my husband. And then you would go to wedding venues to view if you would like to book the venue for your wedding day. And then they'd give you these brochures and they'd be selling, you know, selling the dream to you, flip through the brochures. (laughs) And again, there was nobody in them that looked like me. And you go to wedding shows where you, you know, you might connect with suppliers or buy bits and pieces. And there was the expectation that my husband and I, couldn't afford the services that were on offer. So there was all of that kind of yeah. nonsense and casual racism going on. And I, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, love is something that is so universal. And, and it was just, if you're not white, heterosexual and a Cinderella type, you, you weren't included. So I created a platform that challenged that and also represented uh, couples that were often ignored. That did really well. And as a result of that, uh, lots of brands, hotels, 
a creative agency started to contact me and say, wow, you've got such a diverse um, uh, pool of readers. Like, how do we, how do we tap into that? And mm. so then I started to do workshops and to- a consultancy, I guess, before workshops. And because to me, it was like common sense. Like, why are you not doing this already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was common sense. And then that just built and built and built. And I did more and more consultancy. And then that developed more into to training. And then I just noticed that obviously I'm a black woman. I'm going to bring race and my experiences of racism into narratives that I have because I can't separate my race from my identity and every time I brought race up there was just so much awkwardness and shame and embarrassment I'm like what is this and so that then led me to really lean into just doing uh, workshops on race inclusion and then more specifically anti-racism which kind of led more to the work that I'm doing now so it was born out of my own wedding and frustration at not being represented again that I created my own platform and that resonated with other human beings and other brands um yeah it's often the best ideas are common sense where you yeah. think i can't believe someone hasn't done this yeah. already it it's was so obvious, so obvious. <laughs> and even now like when i i decided to so i'd always been moving away from new bride probably if i'm honest since the end of 2019 because i was just doing more and more around anti-racism and it felt the wedding industry felt very frivolous and that i could only kind of stay on the surface and i wanted to go deeper and wider and i felt too constrained and so um by the time of summer 2020, um, Black Square Summer, as some of my colleagues call it, um, yeah. and, and this global spotlight on racial justice, it was a, it was a natural opportunity for me to say, this is it, I'm done, and this yeah. is what I'm doing now, come and follow me over here. And also I think I announced I had a book deal then as well. So it was a natural transition for me. But so many people said, Nova, you just left a gaping hole in the industry. And I, you know, I thought about selling and I had some offers to buy New Bride, but they weren't right. They weren't, they weren't, it just felt out of integrity to sell it. So, yeah. And, and, just, and you- yeah. Uh, you're saying about the wedding industry basically doesn't sort of cater for anyone that isn't white straight a cinderella type is absolutely true and yet there are lots of people in fact there are probably more people who aren't white straight cinderella type so it just seems completely bizarre i mean in terms of money i can't remember the data now because it's been a while i've been in in the data in in an intense way there but there were so many studies that show um black and Asian or well, African and um, South Asian couples, the average spend of a wedding is like double or triple that of, of, of white couples. And of course, because generally speaking to, to be stereotypical, we have bigger celebrations. There's more people at our weddings. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't make any business sense either. So yeah. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. So frustrating that, that, Yeah. But it's anyway. institutional. It's, in, it's institutional. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's because it's like, well, this yeah. is the way we've always done things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And even for my husband, who, you know, he 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 lo- he, he, he loves to take care of his appearance. Like he, he cares about like he cares about what he looks like, and 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 you there was just nothing it was just there was nothing for him like well what about like I'm in I'm invested in this as well like yeah. it was all very geared towards the woman and I'm like what is this it's done yeah. it doesn't make mm. sense well that that then taps into another um 
I guess, sort of traditionalism that men don't want to look after themselves, which yeah. is absolutely not true, not true at all, at all. But again, I, I just think it, industry is just like, well, no, no, sorry, but men don't want this, so we're not going to bother. Well, this is the way we do things, and we're going to just stick to this. Whereas actually, it's it's a lot bolder and actually just more sensible. Yeah. To go against the grain and and, and not do that, but I, 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 but I'm not a business person, so I don't. You know, you know, it's just common. It's just common sense, Jim. It's yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It is. I, I mean, yeah, I see it in football as well. Sometimes some of the decisions that you know, are made in football, and, and and it is as in in sort of in the game. Uh, yeah, I can't. my mum and dad used to talk about common sense quite a lot growing up, and I wasn't sure I understood it. And when I became an adult, I yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. oh right, you're yeah. just talking about just like. <laughs> yeah, what makes sense? I don't know. I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. So just it, it just starts to make me a bit angry. <laughs> <laughs> So those initial workshops you were doing, mm. what did they what did they kind of look like? And also, was that um, I guess they were probably quite enjoyable as well because you were able to, um, you know, start to impart some of your experiences and your knowledge. Yeah. So in the early days, when I was mostly working kind of with five star hotels or creative agencies, like there was more, there were less uh, uh, clinical corporate settings that I was in. So you know, the, the the kind of people that would be attracted to working those environments generally were fairly diverse, I guess. And so there was a, 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 a more of an open-mindedness, I guess, to what I was talking about. I was also back then talking about diversity and inclusion, which is much more palatable than anti-racism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and generally people were there to listen and improve their business. So, you know, it, they were enjoyable and they they looked, it, it depended what the client needed. I never did this package thing. Um, I, I've always worked in that way because I used to coach as well. I, I, um, and I uh, have some a background in therapy. So to me, it's all about what, what does the individual need yeah. and then I will adapt based on what their need is. Um, and so it varied depending on what, what people needed. But I genuinely would help people understand definitions concepts and then talk about what the barriers are in their business we would do a little bit of role play i used to act so i bring role play in a lot about you know having courageous conversations um and so it really really varied and and i would give people ideas about okay if you're not attracting this demographic let's figure out where who is this demographic reading where are they hanging out like you know getting to help people understand what questions they can be asking or where they can be researching to know who their client is or who the client that they they want to reach is um and then so that I would do those kind of workshops and I was actually doing delivering one um to a creative agency who had a shared office space at the time so it wasn't just the creative agency in that office space there were other businesses and I was talking and um a woman walked through the door not long after I started and they said oh we're doing a workshop today you're more than welcome to to listen in and so she did. And then she approached me and gave me her business card. And she said, I'm a literary agent. Have you ever thought about turning your workshop into a book? And I'm like, no, <laughs> who's going to read that bloody boring <laughs> workshop about inclusion? And she said, think about it. And so I really didn't, I, I didn't love the idea at all. I'd already, st- I was already writing. I was as a, a natural move from somebody who was blogging, I would often get asked to write for magazines, Refinery29, um, Metros. I was already doing journalistic writing. So writing was something that was was within me. And um, But I'd never considered a book. I was 
I say that <laughs> whilst I was playing around with writing a, a, a fiction book, just playing. I wasn't doing anything with it. I was just yeah. creative expression. And then I kind of left it for quite some time. And then I just decided to try. And she said, send me three chapters and then let's see. Because obviously she doesn't know what my writing skills are like for nonfiction. And I sent it to her and she almost responded immediately. I think it was within 24 hours. And she said, this is extraordinary. We need to meet. I think I can get you a book deal. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't. And if I'm honest, yeah. I didn't really believe her. And, and I remember yeah. her saying, Nova, I wouldn't take on an author that I didn't think I'd get a book deal with. Like, I'm an agent. Like, that's my job. Yeah. Um, and so we started writing and working together at the end of 2018. We started submitting in 2019. Got some initial interest from, from some big publishers. Um, it wasn't quite right. And so I needed to go back and do some tweaking. Got lots of rejections along the way. Mm-hmm. At one point, I was like, I've had enough. I'm not doing it now. I'm, I'm done. It's taken up too much time and we're not getting anywhere. And then early 2020, she submitted it again. And I got some beautiful feedback from HarperCollins, who are my now publisher. And they, they said something really interesting. They said, I feel this is, we love it, but I feel like Nova's writing to two different audiences. If she uh. can, if she can integrate and cause, what I had originally done in my book was write a corporate book. So it's very much about my workshop. So I'm talking to a corporate audience. And generally speaking with a corporate audience, people are at different stages of understanding. So it's more general. I'm having to do a bit of convincing and it's quite light touch. Whereas if I'm talking to an individual change maker who's socially conscious, who wants to do better, raise socially conscious kids, contribute, be a good human, I can go deeper and wider. And so I was kind of doing both. And it wasn't until I got that feedback from HarperCollins that I realised, I was like, ah. And so then we we shifted and it was for the individual change maker. And that was the good ally. And that was the book that got got a deal. So that's how that happened. <laughs> but that but that is you being open to feedback. It goes back to what we were saying oh, earlier yeah. in, in the podcast. That is you being open to that and being like, okay, yeah, I can change this. I can try this. And because without that, book deal wouldn't have happened and without that change doesn't happen and also it was more me like I I didn't I didn't have the awareness to see what I was doing in my writing and then when she said that in the way that she said it I was like ah and it unlocked something in me so I wasn't editing my I was just I was not censoring myself I was writing as me um yeah How did it feel sort of getting that? Because it's almost sort of validation, isn't it? Like, I know you mm. weren't expecting it or sort of looking for it, but having that agent, literary agent say, I think I can work with you and then say, this is really good stuff. That must have been a new kind of feeling, I guess. And also, I just, just sorry to interrupt, to caveat this, it often, and I say this to a lot of authors who ask me about getting published, it's often harder to get an agent than it is to get a publishing really? deal. Really? Really? Yeah, so Ooh. actually to get... Well, so actually take more validation from that because like to get someone to get an agent interested in your work is is often very hard Mm. so um just to sort of caveat that a little bit yeah and like it was for me it wasn't something that I was 
seeking I was just doing my work and somebody said yeah. there is there is an opportunity here when, when, when think about it and so I did for quite a number of months and so in the beginning like I didn't believe her I was like yeah okay whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right I've had agents before that have got me no work um, <laughs> in the world. acting yeah. world so <laughs> it wasn't like having an agent wasn't a new concept for me in that respect yeah, yeah. um but it was, and, the, and I will name her. Her name, um, uh, she, her name is Anwin, and her agency is Bird Literary Agency. And what I love about her, and what I've discovered with other friends who've got agents, is she develops her writers. And not yeah. all agents do that. So there was a developmental period with us, which, you know, was 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 vital for me to be able to go beyond writing articles if that makes sense I could I could always write but writing articles journalistic articles is very different to writing an entire book yeah um so yeah it's a very special relationship and and I it must be really hard not to have that support when you're going through the process of writing I I can't imagine not having that support well, it's interesting. It's something that comes up on the podcast quite a lot about um, having mentors uh, mm. and, you know, people that are there supporting you and encouraging you. And I think I think the, the, the author-agent relationship is a, is a crucial one yeah. because you do – you need that person fighting your corner, but then also that person who's, you know, courageous enough to tell you and it's not going quite right or it's not quite how they sort of envision it. Mm. And I think that's that's really important. And it is a it is a very it is a very special relationship. And mm. you know, it sounds like you've got a you know a really great agent there who's yeah. obviously willing to put that time and effort into you. And it's you know it's a transparent relationship is what it's two ways. It's like yeah. okay, I need to be able to give you feedback and stuff, and particularly with the content that I'm handling because she's a white woman. Like I need to be able to be honest yeah. about when that when when things aren't working or if you know things are harmful and to continue to be in relationship with one another it's quite rare actually um but it's important that it's there isn't this power dynamic that i i i definitely experienced when i was an actress re you should be grateful for having an agent well actually no you're collaborating you're co-creating yeah 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 that's that's vital to, to to make that distinction i think yeah mm. i think you're right and i think that is in in different you know i've got a very great um lit agent agent and and yeah it is it is more collaboration and and you 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 work on ideas together and yeah. I think that's really really crucial for for people who haven't read the book can you give us a a, a kind of brief overview of what the book is about yeah so it's um you know, it's, it's called The Good Ally and it is a guided anti-racism journey from bystander to change maker. And essentially, I wanted to write a book that helped people understand and recognise what racism is beyond an act of, overt act of hate. There are so many, there is so much research that shows, you know, there are lots of well-meaning, well-intentioned white liberals who who want to challenge racism in the world. Um, but they're, but they're, and they're more likely to speak up about overt acts of racism than the people experiencing racism. Yeah. But they're less able to recognize subtle forms of racism. And we're like, oh, this, <laughs> this is a challenge. So how do I make people understand what it is beyond an overt act of hate? And also to have the courage to look within. Cause people often say to me, well, what can I do to help? And I'm like, we've been socialized in a racist society. It is 
inescapable that we haven't ingested some of this stuff yeah and so it goes back to me this isn't about white this isn't about me talking about right-wing extremists this is about what racist stereotypes do i hold or what stereotypes do i hold that perpetuate racism um how am i if i'm if i'm somebody who's in a position of influence at work you know how is you know, how am I contributing to pay ethnicity pay inequity? Um, am I looking? Am I, am I looking for that data that shows that white folk doing the same job are being paid sometimes three times more than a black person doing the same job? Like this is how we start to look at it. Healthcare outcomes. I do a lot of work with the NHS um, and around the, the around. You know, there's there's often less uptake in clinical trials for medication or vaccines of people in black um, black groups, yeah. and 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 part of the reason for that is because medical experiments historically were done on black bodies and are still are, and so there is a lack of trust and a yeah. hesitancy, and then of course we have COVID, and then the the hesitancy to engage in vaccinations. I'm like, everything is linked. So I do a lot about taking people through the historical journey, particularly Britain's role in it, because it's often hidden or erased or not spoken about. What's happened historically? How is that still showing up today? And what can I do about it? I can actually relate that to personal experience. Um, I run another podcast called F- Five Year Plans. It's a football podcast for Crystal Palace FC. Palace doing very well at the moment, so it's quite enjoyable. I'm sure we'll get relegated at some point. It'll be less enjoyable, but it's going okay. My, hu- my husband's old team, he, 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 was a, he was a traitor and moved to Arsenal. Oh, no. <laughs> How can you do that? I know. He's even crossed the river. He's terrible. North of the river as well. He just said, I just followed him. I just followed Ian Wright. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Wrighty. Fair enough. To be fair, yes. Wrighty was one of our best of it. I, I, I wonder if a lot of fans did that, actually, because Wrighty was so... He was so loved. So uh, good uh, and so loved. I wonder if, mm. yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if other people did that mm. as well. He's a nice guy, right? I've got to work with him a few times, actually. He's a, he's a top man. Nice. But our podcast started off with me and three mates, and we are all straight, white, middle-class men. And for years, it was us talking about Palace. And, of course, the subject of discrimination would come up now and then because things would happen on the football pitch and stuff. And we realised it was it wasn't a true reflection of what was happening because it was just, especially it wasn't a true reflection of Crystal Palace fans because Palace are based yeah. on one of the most diverse parts of London. Mm. Mm. So we start, and we, did, we would now and then get a few tweets from people saying, guys, great discussion, but you are four white guys talking about this. Mm. And so we, we've tried to get a more diverse panel on. In the last couple of years, we've been able to do that and we've got more female guests, more LGBT. Yeah community guests uh, more people of color and we're still trying this this is the thing like I, i'm not sitting here thinking well we've done it now oh great we've got this great. Mm. we're still trying to do that because i think it's important as a podcast for a fan base and an area of london that is diverse for us to do that as well but that took me a long time to realize and it, and it, mm. it took me looking inwards and going oh yeah no i have and and trying and it was hard in that moment not to be like well the, well, the podcast is doing fine, what you're talking about. Like, actually mm, being like, mm. okay, yeah, we need to do something about this. And also then asking, and my mates Andy and Rob, who I'd run it with, were very good at helping going, all right, guys, what can we actually do? Exactly. Okay, who do we know we can talk to that's going to have a true reflection of this and understand what it's like to be a diverse fan, a Palace fan? And we're getting yeah. there. It's, it's, it's a work in progress and we're getting there. But actually, as a result, the pod now is much better than it was. Of course, because it's just, 
like who wants to go to the library and just read one book like it adds yeah. something I think there's a feeling that it's going to take something away like having more representation is taking something from a majority group like it's adding yeah. it's richer and it has to be intentional and consistent um for it to 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 really have an impact yeah. but it has to be continuous like I don't yeah. I don't think uh, and mm. and I, get, I, I sometimes get very cynical with brands like yeah when you get to like pride month and they all change their logos to rainbows and then 30 days later change them back and you think well what was the fucking point of that (laughs) or like in football we have the the rainbow laces campaign and it's a a great campaign to raise awareness of discrimination but again the players wear them for a couple of weekends a season and then go back to their like i i want to see players wearing rainbow laces season wide because these issues don't Mm. stop at the the end of the month and so it's continue it uh, I do. I do think some brands sometimes just do it as as there's a phrase, isn't it? It's like just to be. I can't remember what the phrase is, but to be seen to be doing it rather than to yes. be actually doing something. But, well, I think it's something you talk about is that that kind of performative, performative allyship. That's isn't the word it? I'm looking for. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And and performative allyship is not allyship. It's racism because it's more about perception and ego yeah. and being seen to be yeah. doing the right thing rather than actually wanting to meaningfully address discrimination and racism, which is a form of trauma yeah. in a meaningful way. Um, and that's, you know, it's a very clear difference when you're, a, when you, when you witness that as someone who's black or even in other marginalized identities, I hear the same things. Like you, 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 you know, the intention behind it, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether this is something that's genuine and meaningful or it's not, it's ego driven. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it is trauma. Like I'm, I'm in your, your Ted talk, you talked, you know, you talked about reference earlier in the podcast about being seven and, a white girl saying, "Why does this? Why does this girl look like poo?" I think was the phrase she used, and mm-hmm. like that, I can imagine. And you said, you know, you said you, you, uh, as you got older, you've suffered other forms of racism and more intentional forms of racism. When other, when this five-year-old girl, well, you hope didn't know what she was saying, but that is a hugely traumatic thing. And you know, I, I've been through counselling and stuff and, 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 and whenever you talk about issues it nearly always comes down to childhood it nearly everything comes always. down to something you've experienced mm. as a child and that what you experienced then was hugely traumatic so of course it's going to affect how you see yourself and affect your experience of the world and I think people forget that um, you know, I'm glad you just said it then racism is a form yeah. of trauma people often think that it's just about name calling well you know for goodness sake they just crack on and it's trauma and you know there is so much research and I talk about this in the good ally in great detail and there's snippets of it in my TED talk there's there is a the, the most profound piece of research I found was that they were studying um brain patterns of war veterans who'd served in in some kind of war and also uh, it was black people, but African-Americans specifically, and studying their brain patterns uh, of regular exposure to racial stress. And the regular exposure to racial stress was showing up in terms of brain patterns in the same way as war veterans who've served in war as post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. And but the, the I guess that is that is hard to digest in itself, in and of itself. But post post suggest it is in the past and it's not there is consistent persistent ongoing exposure to racial stress could that be just turning on the tv reading headlines 
walking down the street, racially profiling, or, you know, some of the more, more pervasive stuff that goes on at work, it's ongoing. Yeah. So you just think if you don't have an opportunity to heal and you've never had an opportunity to heal intergenerationally, yeah. you know, we're dealing with a public health issue as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm sorry to bring it back to football. It's literally all I know about and all I do. But there's been numerous examples, certainly in the lower leagues, of players being racially abused and mm. referees not... Uh, stopping the game uh, not or, or or even worse teams then taking their players off and say we're not dealing with this and then that team getting fined or getting like points taken off them by the association and it's almost like like you say like it's like referees or, or the FA saying we'll just get on with it but how can you get on with it when it's literally changed my brain signals and mm-hmm. it, you wouldn't say that to anyone that had gone through any th- sort of other no. form of of um uh, PTSD or, or anything or even you know like a, a leg injury or something but if it's doing those kind of same brain signals it's it's trauma still and you wouldn't you wouldn't say crack on I don't know if it's a stupid sort of British stiff upper lip spirit thing that we've all been brought up on as well but you just wouldn't say that to anyone that was going through anything else similarly traumatic Mm. it's a lack of empathy and that's a core component I talk about in my book like yeah. you know uh, culturally um, in terms of our history with enslavement and Britain's role in it, you know, humans had to dehumanise other humans for a really long time. And and we're not designed that way. Like we said, there is an intrinsic need to connect and belong and to be in community. So in order to dehumanise someone, like you, in order to treat somebody worse, less than an animal, you have to dehumanise. In order to dehumanise, you have to lose empathy. So that is what we're dealing with as a residue of that. Um, And so all of that I talk about more in the book. And I really help people go on a journey to understand what it is that we're dealing with and what we can actually do to help. Because we can unlearn this stuff and we can do... We can help and do better and transform, but we have to have the courage to look and to be vulnerable and to accept what is as truth and not deny or debate it but 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 we are surely born as as empathetic beings surely that is a core nature in us so some of us are more um predisposed to empathy than others for sure um but we're not designed to hate we're not born with hate We, we learn that pretty quick yeah yeah You talk about collective healing, mm. and, and which is a lovely phrase, I think, actually, that idea that we, you know, comes together. Yeah, no, it is. It's, I love it. Um, and that kind of, you, you talked to, also, you just sort of referenced like unpicking and unlearning things. How do we start to examine our role? You know, like I'm talking, Jim and I are both middle class white guys. How do we, Jim and I, start to examine our role in this discussion, you know, and, and see how we can start to change our way of thinking and doing. Yeah, I mean, it start it, for me, it always starts with curiosity. And there's a question that I, I, I in The Good Ally, I'm asking, I'm giving lots of prompts, like to think about this, asking questions, giving people opportunity to reflect, journal, voice note, whatever 
is accessible to them, but to get used to the act of self-inquiry. And part of the reason I do that is because um, after I was an actress, I worked in mental health for nearly 10 years. And so I've got a therapeutic training. So I'm yeah. used to being in therapy. I'm used to helping people learn how to self-inquire and, and be self-aware and to meet unmet needs and all of that stuff. So I'm bringing all of that in. And I asked many questions. And one of the questions I asked, and it's sometimes hard to hear, but I think it's a really good question, is how am I racist? Yeah. And really thinking about that. And again, it's a reminder, this isn't about over anything. Like, how do I uphold racist stereotypes? Do I have an automatic fear response when I see a black man coming towards me? Um, just in terms of your podcast, Jim, that you were talking about, well, how have I perpetuated that by having four white guys on the yeah. podcast? And what can we do about it? So it could be, well, if you're a parent, what books am I buying for my children to read? And are there diverse characters within there? And am I, am I learning about history of black people that's beyond trauma and slavery am I learning about the really really great scientists and inventors and of people that contributed like that's the question I'm asking um and it just gives you an opportunity to get curious you know the good ally guides guides people through that in a meaningful way uh, um but it's about being honest and I always say if most of us are honest we already know what our isms are um and it's about accepting that okay I've learned that and I've I may have caused harm in the past or I have caused harm in the past and I've got a beautiful opportunity to do something about that now yeah absolutely and you do have an opportunity it's not like mm. you've got to a stage in your life and you think well I'm too old to change now you know I'm, I'm too <laughs> racist to change now I'm sorry this is just me like you do you have that you always have an opportunity it. and it's the same you know the, the same calls that are coming across us to think about our our language around ableism and like how am I you know you know am I you know if I'm hosting an event one of the things I I I think about intentionally is am I choosing an accessible venue so that wheelchair users can come do you see what I mean it it can go across also what we're doing with with sexism and sexism and, and like there's always something we can be thinking about well how can I better include people or who am I leaving out who's missing yeah so I work in the in the comedy industry. I work. I try and work in the comedy industry. Uh, you do. You're a comedian. Stand up. You do yeah. work in the. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not for a lot of money, but it still counts. Um, and there's a comedian called Sophie Hagen who actually, Giles, we should get on the podcast. Who is absolutely fantastic mm. and is driving uh, for more inclusivity in the in the comedy industry, not just for acts but for audiences as well. So she runs a lot of gigs that are. Um, inclusive in terms of access in venues. They are friendly gigs so no one gets picked on in the front row. Yeah. They have acts that are not that don't punch down with their material. And mm. she's very, very good at that. And, and, and shamefully, she's one of the f- few acts, and I, I guess she's a promoter as well in that sense, that does that. And, and I still do a lot of gigs. Or you know, I did one in Bognor Regis last Friday, which, which, was, which was okay. But again, as you're talking now, I'm thinking, well, actually, to get to the room, we would have to go upstairs. I have no idea if there was a lift or anything like that and i hadn't mm. even hadn't even thought about that because i was so nervous about emceeing and cracking on with a gig i hadn't actually yeah. contemplated that kind of accessibility yeah. so there are people like sophie who are making that change but i guess it needs more people to do that to change to be honest what is an industry that is actually does need a lot of yeah a lot of changing and it's just it's having that thought in the first place and it's not beating yourself up like there's, there's probably many i know not probably there'll be many times where 
I haven't thought about things or I could have done things better. I'm like, that's just the nature of being human and evolving. But it is an intentional act to be anti-racist. And that includes thinking about those kinds of things as, as well. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to actually, I've literally, sorry, I, I hope I haven't looked, but I'm actually Googling the book now. I'm going to buy it actually as we're talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's audio as well if you prefer listening, but um, yeah. I think I prefer having it in my hands. To be honest, yeah. something about having a book. Old school. The old like school. Me. Here we go. Like, like me. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I'm old school. Um, no, I'm going to, yeah, definitely buy a copy because... Um, it sounds fascinating and, and I think Thank I you, could Jim. use it. Um, we're all on a journey. We're, no, we're not finished products. Exactly. And we can all still use that, that, uh, that enhancement, I guess. And, it, and it's designed to return to again and yeah. again. I got someone messaged me the other day. They said they've read it three times. I was like, it only came out in September. How have you had time? Wow, <laughs> They've raced through that. <laughs> I was like, can you put three reviews yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep reviewing <laughs> Nova, it's been it's been such a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time today. There's, Thanks, Nova. Thank you. No, well, thank you, Nova. So honestly, it's been it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Giles. Real pleasure. And I, lo- you know, I, I'm more familiar with you, Giles, than I am Jim. Um, and I love the work that you're doing as well. So thank you for having me and inviting me. I appreciate it. Oh no, that that's very kind of you to say. Well, there you go. Nova Reed on the Blank podcast. I don't think we've had an episode like that before, really. And um, it was incredibly powerful. Uh, and she's just a brilliant, brilliant person as well. And I think actually we're sort of lucky that she's doing what she, what she's doing. I mean, the thing about um, the the wedding industry and sort of no one yeah. representing for anyone that isn't white or, or straight. It's just, it's, it, it, it's, it is madness. And it is a, little, a lack of common sense as well. And it's just bizarre. And um, as I said before, like, and I'm sure she felt it as well being in that situation where you think, why has no one else done this? Like, it's just a bit mad. So she's, you know, she's a pioneer in many ways as well. And um, it was great to talk to her. And and just, it's just embracing that, what that, like, I have my prejudices, even if I don't try, I do because of the system I've been brought up in. How can I change it? How can I be a bit vulnerable, look inward rather than outward? And if we all do that, even just a little bit, then think of the change we can all make. But um it's not something you think about. We're all such busy in our lives. You don't think about it, but just taking a second to think like that, um, I think can make a big difference. So, um, you know, thank you Nova for coming on and to be honest, giving uh, us the opportunity to, to, to think like that because we don't, I, I just don't like, mm. I consider myself a very lefty liberal, a kind hearted guy, but I, I have my prejudices and, and I don't ever stop to think about them because I'm a busy man, but being able to do that this morning, I think was actually massively helpful. Yeah, I think so. And uh, kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to get her on the podcast, so we could have these dis- this frank discussion about it. And, and you know, I said near the end, how do we, you and I, how do we examine ourselves and, yeah. and the way we interact with others and behave? And how can we unpick and unlearn the things that we, that are sort of ingrained in us through societal, you know, through through society and through, you know, history and all these yeah. various different things that have, that go into how we think about the world um and how can we unpick those and unlearn them and and, and actually be more tolerant and, and more inclusive uh yeah. and yeah so we've got a lot to learn you know and like you say we both i guess we both consider ourselves to be you know 
um, anti-racist, but at the same time, there will be things that we can be doing loads better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and obviously you talked about that with regards to the podcast and regards to this podcast, we can do better. So, yeah, yeah. so it's an important discussion to be had and, and, and hopefully more people will start to have those discussions with others and themselves. Absolutely. And it's not shameful to say I can do better. It's empowering to do that, you know, and change doesn't happen unless people do look inward and see how they can change for the better. You are changing for the better. You're not, you're not saying I'm going to make myself worse. I'm no. going to try and make myself better and then everyone benefits from that. Absolutely. So, we we will we will be doing that on this podcast, and we'll be doing that. We're trying to do that in 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 our lives as well. And um, and but if if any of that today has sounded interesting, do get Nova's book, uh, The Good Ally. I've just bought a copy literally right now as we're recording, um, because that will definitely uh, help you address those uh, those that situation. Yeah. It's a very important book and one that everyone should have a copy of. Absolutely. Um, well, there you go. Thank you so much to Nova for coming on. Brilliant episode. Um, Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our patrons. Um, I was going to read a random patron out. Can I do that, Giles? Yeah, that okay? please do. Uh, Samantha Beaton. Hi, Samantha. There you go, Samantha. I may, I've done random ones in the past. I can't remember who I've done. So if I've done Samantha before, then, hey, Samantha, you got to, your name read out twice. But I'm going to try and do some more over future episodes as well because we love our patrons and we, we, want to, uh, we want to obviously let them know how much we love them. If you want to join our patron and get early episodes, ad-free episodes, uh, and most weeks extra content, or obviously we're making this week available to everybody, um, you can sign up at patreon.com slash blank podcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash blank podcast. And if you want to get hold of us on Twitter or Instagram um, and let us know what you've enjoyed from any episode our handle is the same for both it is at blank pod it is indeed and that's the end of the episode Charles have a great week and you Jim um, get some training in for your walk I will I'm sure you are training hard uh, for your long walk get some blister pads basically that, oh, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm definitely going to do that <laughs> and have a good week mate and uh, see you next week and our listeners on the blank podcast goodbye Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.